0: Well, I don't know what your week has been like, what you've been thinking of, um, but I've had a jolly interesting week. It's been jolly interesting. Most weeks are interesting, lots of variety in the life of a minister, you get into all sorts of conversations, but this week... Everything, or many things, perhaps I should say, have been strung together by discussions about promises. On Monday night, members of the Boys Brigade, their officers, their helpers, they were here and we had the annual enrolment. And it was good that some of the members of the congregation could come and join in those promises too. But the rest of the week I've had people talking about promises and vows and agreements, and it's been very much on my agenda. I've been talking with people about membership. I've talked with a couple about an infant dedication. I've talked with a young couple about a wedding ceremony, maybe, in 2017. And throughout all these different things, has been the concept of promises. Promises made between people. Promises made in the sight of God. Promises perhaps made to God. Promises that are meant to be kept. And God always keeps his. Yet throughout the week I've also been reading and re-reading this parable, this message in Mark's gospel where Jesus is talking about people who have broken a promise, they've broken the covenant that God has made with them they were called to be his people and he would be their God and we'll come back to that promise tonight as we think of Zechariah Trust had been invested, but the expected return had not been made. The vineyard has been rented out, but the tenants do not pay the rent. God's people have not been godly people. The first century had a number of absentee landlords in the Holy Land. And not all of them were very popular. They would normally have an agent that would go round and collect the rent. And the tenant farmers were not always happy to pay. And sometimes that was because the landlords charged high rent they were quite unreasonable they didn't put anything into the property rather like some slum slum landlords still today that hike up the prices and don't do repairs and perhaps as Jesus started to tell this story Maybe the listeners identified themselves as oppressed labourers paying far too much. But the twist is this is a story with a good landlord. This is one who has invested in them. This is one who's given them everything that they need To be able to grow the grapes and to produce the wine. But they will not pay the rent. It's not the landlord. It's the workers who are unjust. And you might notice as he tells this parable about the tenants... Or the wicked husbandsman, as it's sometimes referred to, that there's a stronger element of tension than the parables that we've had in the past weeks. As we've looked in Mark 3 and Mark 4, it's been far more focused on the kingdom. But here we get to a story about the king and the king coming and saying who are you, where's my rent those other ones were told as Jesus journeyed around Galilee as he travelled in a time of ministry but considerable time has passed today we are eight chapters further on than last Sunday night and in Mark's gospel that's quite a chunk Quite a lot of time has passed. And we find ourselves actually in the city of Jerusalem. And it's the week of the Passover. And Jesus has ridden the donkey. He has come into the city. And the crowds have shouted, Hosanna. Because the king of love has come. And he's been to the temple. And turned over the tables, and he's cursed the fig tree, and it has withered. And it's only a few more days until there is a betrayal, and the Christ is crucified. And so there's this parable, which takes in that story: the Son coming to the people, and the people rejecting him. and tells this story. But as he tells it, it will remind the listeners of Isaiah 5, where the Lord's vineyard has produced sour grapes. It's not the crop it was supposed to have. Now there's no suggestion today of whether in the parable the grapes are sour or sweet it would seem that there has been a good harvest that there have been fruit growing there that have been well for the landlord has given everything needed but at the harvest they do not give to the landlord what is due They choose not to. And it's no coincidence that this passage is followed in Mark by questions about tax. Are we supposed to pay money to Caesar? How does Jesus reply? Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. It's the same message as in this parable. They are not giving to God what is God's, what he is due. God gives us all we need. Do we give to God what is God's? Do we give him what he deserves as a token of our love? Do we give him our glory Honour, praise that he's due? Do we give him our thanks? Do we give him our time, our effort, our wealth? And when we do say, Oh, yes, I give, do we only give in the ways that we choose, or do we give in the ways that he asks each of us to individually? Do we only give for the purposes that we choose or do we give for the purposes that God chooses? Do we focus on the offerings of self and wealth that we want to or do we truly give what's due? The labourers of the vineyard had worked hard. They'd produced a crop. But they failed to remember that the vineyard wasn't theirs. And they had to recognise the owner for who he was. And the servants who come to collect the rent... The ones who are prophets saying repent get beaten up and thrown out. They even get killed. They've called for obedience to the law. But each time the people go further away from the law. Their ideal is everything for themselves. And they declare that when the news of the son comes to them, the inheritance will be ours. We'll kill him, we'll make it ours. It is surely naive to kill the son, for in doing so, they seal their own fate. They will have an inheritance. It's not the one that we're hoping for, though. It's a comeuppance. Throughout all this, throughout the story, God has a plan. It is His vineyard. He has started it. He has put the people in charge. He's given them dominion. He challenges them to do their work and to give glory to him. But when they fail to do what's right, he sends people again and again and again He wants them to come back. Just like the mother of the duck going quack, quack, quack. He repeatedly calls. He repeatedly calls. (coughs) Until there's only one final answer. Such that he has to send his son to call them back. To say this is it. The sun's coming offers a way out. It offers a last chance. But they choose to continue as they were. With greed and with hatred. We are free to do what we want. We are free to make decisions that will impact our life. And we're free to make decisions that will affect others. But we must remember God has a plan. We may choose to be part of that plan. To love the Lord with all our heart. And to love our neighbours as ourselves. We can choose that. Or we can choose to ignore his word. But either way, the final outcome is God's. We can choose to be part of the plan or not part of the plan. But the ending of the story is the ending that God chooses. In the parable, the people who have killed the son are themselves slain. It's not what they expect to happen. But we must remember there will be a day when we will be judged. And what sort of inheritance will ours be? Death or the richness of the kingdom? The people of the vineyard, the real people of the vineyard who were charged with tending to the fruitfulness of God's creation the people who were the priests and the Pharisees were hearing this parable while at the same time forming the plan to kill the son to kill Jesus like those in the parable These are people of covenant promise. They felt that they were people of God. People not different from how we might feel about ourselves. And they feel that in doing things they will receive the reward. But in rejecting the son, the laborers make a gross error of judgment. Not only an error in killing the son, but in how the landlord would react to that. Will he really treat the laborers who did not pay rent and then killed their son? Would he really give them everything? The vineyard is given over to others. New people, not those that the promise was originally with. If we are reading this in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew 21, we hear Jesus teach after the parable in a very clear way that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. And it doesn't get much cleverer than that, does it? Saying that the kingdom would be taken from them. We are those people that it's given to. We are charged with the task of producing fruit. Fruit that will last That will refresh everyone else. And the challenge is therefore upon us that we are to do those things and to give the landlord his due, or we ourselves might suffer the consequence. It's critical that we recognize the Son Jesus. And choose to honor God through him. He gets rejected by many, but through him, the plan will come to its rightful conclusion. For although the laborers killed him, he is raised from the grave by the father he is raised because that's part of the plan that the grave will be triumphed over that there will be hope that there is a God of love who cares for us and wants us to return to his way of life. The Lord of all lands, the King of all kings, is raised, and he will return. And he will inherit the nations. God's plan will be seen to come to fullness because God is God.